Hey everyone and welcome to We Talk Things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 217, we're discussing 1984's Ghostbusters. I'm on your host, Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. You know, as I did that intro, I realized we are not talking Star Wars, Marvel, or DC <laughs> this week. We are talking Ghostbusters, guys. At the end of last week's podcast, we're sitting here discussing, as we always do, our post-podcast musing, and Sanjay throws out this idea, why don't we just each pick four movies, throw it up on Twitter, and ask people, ask the listeners, to vote on what they want us to review. And this quickly materialized into episode number 217 with Ghostbusters. You guys voted. There was Star Trek from 09. There was Ghostbusters. There was, what else was there? Turtles. And there was, what was the last one? Batman Batman Forever, Forever, of course. How could I forget Batman Forever? (laughs) Now, these are all films we're interested in reviewing at some point in time, so we're likely to throw up a few more of these listener votes for movies to review, but it did turn out that Sanjay's pick of Ghostbusters was the overwhelming winner of that poll up on Twitter. So we're going to be discussing 1984's Ghostbusters this week. I'm pretty excited. This is a big film from when I was a kid even though it came out before I was born. (laughs) Real Ghostbusters, there's a franchise here, a billion, multi-billion dollar franchise that this has really spurred. This movie, we've all gone back and rewatched it. It's up here on Canadian Netflix, and we're going to have a time reviewing this. We're not going to do a spoiler-free section, guys, because like I said, this movie is older than me. If you haven't seen it by now, go watch it on Netflix, but we're not going to give the luxury of spoiler-free here because I I think we've worn that space out just a little bit with regards to a movie that is upwards of 36 years old. And you know what, guys? We're going to just jump right into the review here. Yeah, this is a 1984 supernatural comedy film directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis themselves. This thing, like I said, spurred a massive franchise that has gone for literally decades, all the way up to a 2016 reboot, I call. We'll touch on that just a little bit here. And it also is now going to see a sequel in 2021 with Ghostbusters Afterlife being picked up by Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son. So a nice passing of the torch there set in this Ghostbusters universe that we're going to talk about that was set up, that was constructed, framed out by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. This thing is a cult classic. Like I said, it was a big part of my childhood, more the animation stuff. But guys, let's, let's go and let's jump right into this. Let's talk about... Ghostbusters from your perspective what your view is on the gross franchise what was your first experience with 1984's Ghostbusters gonna throw it over to you first Troy I know you're an extreme Ghostbusters guy you're into the figs you're into the cartoons let me know what your experience with Ghostbusters is like and then point it down to particularly around this Ghostbusters that was released or at least Ghostbusters number one as we'll call it yeah man no this uh this movie fond fond memories of this going way back um much like you i wasn't born when this even existed but <laughs> it's uh it's one of those properties where it feels like like the jacksons like michael like the karate kid like star wars this <laughs> thing's always kind of been around you know so um it's just always been there and i think for me it was the action figures it's the toy line oh, yeah. the kenner line um i had all the different costumes i had the, the car the vehicle and that was my big interest into the franchise and then of course obviously the cartoons 
And, you know, I don't think I ever owned the movies, but it was just always on, like, TBS, mm-hmm. Superstation, I think, uh, being played over here. So I'd always catch it then. But it's weird. I have it mixed up. I always had better memories, I guess, of part two than I did with this film. I always remember, like, the Bobby Brown, like, theme song going in <laughs> part two. But I thought that's one. So when I was watching it this time, I was like, where's that soundtrack? That's my track. <laughs> you know? But, um, no, man. And then much later, it kind of died down. And um, I think it came back on YTV extreme ghostbusters which was like you know a, a sequel basically to the to the cartoon series and it was like egon leading the team super diverse cast going on there and uh, i think only lasted maybe like one volume so maybe a season back then and um you know and then i checked out the uh, the current reboot that they they made in 2016 and i know i got a lot of flack a lot of hate but i actually i actually kind of dug it i didn't think it was a bad movie by any means no. really no, uh, agreed. Definitely better effects than <laughs> than the past films, you know. <laughs> but and it's it's pretty funny. But um, yeah, man, that's that's basically my my, you know, my deep dive there into uh to Ghostbusters. Yeah, how, how about you, Sanjay? You have a little bit of a different experience with this film than the rest of us. Well, I'm presuming I haven't heard Carlos Carlos's experiences yet, <laughs> but uh, he's yeah, he's man. a tiny bit older to us, so he may have saw this a, a bit sooner. But <laughs> he saw but, it in his college years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh out of college. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This movie for kids? Get out of here. Yeah, right? So, Sonny, what's your experience been like with the franchise and then with this movie itself? Yeah, man. So, like, I've always grown up around Ghostbusters, but I don't know if I've actually ever seen this movie until yesterday. (laughs) Um, Just watching it, which is crazy to me because, like, going back, I was just always assumed I had seen Ghostbusters. Um, and that's actually part of the reason why I picked it when we were doing the, we each pick a movie. I just ran over to the movie shelf and I'm like, I've always wanted to watch Ghostbusters. You know, I've had, this is like a perfect excuse that I can go watch it. So I picked it and thankfully you guys voted it in. So thanks to everyone who voted it, I finally got to watch Ghostbusters. Um, but I had an older brother who, um, who was really big into Ghostbusters. So I got like all his hand-me-downs. Like I had the action figures. I had the, um, the base, like the, uh, fire station base. Oh yeah, me too, man. Uh, it's so good. And I had the bed sheets of like the cartoon bed sheets. Um, and like, I've always known who like people were like Slimer and the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy. So I've always known them, but I just never seen the film. And then 2016 rolls around and um, they released this amazing steelbook of the Ghostbusters remake. And I know, like, this movie was, like, people were just, like, bashing it like crazy. And, like, people who probably didn't even see the film were just bashing it. But I was like, no, nah, man, the steelbook looks really cool. So uh, I picked it up, and it, like, came in a nice set. Like, the other first two kind of matched the artwork. So that's the reason why I picked those up as well. And I watched the 2016 one actually first. So that's the first experience of, like, an actual Ghostbusters film I had. And I actually really liked it. I thought it was funny. I'm with you, Troy. Like, um, I really like the actresses, all four of them in it. I thought they all were great. Um, I laughed a lot. I thought Chris Hemsworth was funny. I just thought it was just a good time. Like, it's not like a deep film where you go in and you expect to like talk about philosophy and and stuff like that. It's just like a funny, fun action film, and that's all I had with it. And I had a blast. And then finally got around to watching this one. And we'll get into my thoughts on this one and um, the second one now. I really want to watch the second one, so um, I'll have to get around to watching that so I can finish the trilogy. But uh, yeah, it just surprised me. I just it was, this was just a blind spot and nerd for me, and uh, super excited for the new one to come out whenever that will be. I'll be there opening day, and 
probably with you guys, you knuckleheads, and we'll watch it. And uh, yeah, man. So that's that's my that's my Ghostbuster story. Hopefully, I still have fans after this. They're like, <laughs> it took you thirty years to watch Ghostbusters, but yet you watch like I don't know some of the crap I watch. So I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> They're all beautiful in their own way, Troy. This is true. This is true. Now, Carlos, explain to me your your experience with this franchise, with Ghostbusters itself, this original film. You know, you're you're only like ten minutes older than me, I think. Um, at least you're, you look it. So you're, you're a very beautiful man. But what was your experiences with Ghostbusters? Jeez. Um, yeah. So like you like you had in the lead there i i was alive when this movie came out but not by much so i i do remember it coming out it wasn't something that i was old enough to see in the theater or um convince anybody to take me to go see but i do vaguely remember it in the zeitgeist and i definitely remember the theme song like the theme song was a big hit back then and it was like kind of always knocking on mj's tracks at number one (laughs) during the the thriller days there so I, i do remember it from that uh but my first exposure to ghostbusters as a franchise was the real ghostbusters yeah tv show so that's where i got familiar with it and um like in my mind i'd built ghostbusters up and people raved about it and i had it in my mind as like this really exciting super funny action-packed uh movie and then it finally must have come out on um tv or VHS or whatever but I finally saw it and I remember being disappointed in it when I finally saw it as a kid kind of being like this isn't that funny and like (laughs) why is this creepy old man supposed to be the ladies man like (laughs) Peter's supposed to be the Mac but look at this guy and and like that kind of stuck with me where I had like this quasi negative feeling about like the live action Ghostbusters, I love real Ghostbusters, and it kind of grew on me a bit with the second one, which also I didn't see in theater. But same thing, like I remember the Bobby Brown, yeah, <laughs> <song>. <laughs> most of all. Um, but yeah, like guys, kind of my vintage. There's there's certainly a group that holds Ghostbusters in high reverence. This first movie, but uh, yeah, that's that's not me. I uh, I don't know. Sorry, sort of let you down. We'll we'll get into some of my yeah. thoughts a little later on. Like the the film hipsters might be hating me with my uh, <laughs> my thoughts on Bill Murray, but uh, so be it. <laughs> hey, what can you do, man? Their opinions. And it's it's funny that that you say that. Is that I'm the same as you, Troy, and you, Sanjay. Like I came to Ghostbusters through the action figures and through real Ghostbusters. I can't pinpoint the exact moment my dad showed me this film for the first time, but I know I had figures in hand while doing so. And it doesn't seem like a film that I probably was introduced to, you know, pre-1989 or something like that. I was probably like five or six by the time I actually first saw the live-action Ghostbusters here. And by this point, the real Ghostbusters had been going, I think, up until 91. So they had quite a quite a good run there from 86 to 91. So there was a, a lot of – and I couldn't tell – I can't even think of a, a single episode of that stuff. But, man, that I had that Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and I had the Slimer. I still have the Slimer today, the car, everything. And that's where my love for Ghostbusters is. I couldn't say that I have this, like – huge love for this film like i love this film like i've seen it a million times but it wasn't what started my love for ghostbusters is more the franchise the cartoon the action figures that really got me into this and my memories too of 
Ghostbusters 2. I remember the pink goo, and that's kind of it. And, and like, <laughs> there's, there's just a couple weird, really weird scenes in that film as well. I don't think it's as well written as the original Ghostbusters here. And it's, it's, it's funny going back into this with those like review goggles on, you know, I've often spoke about how I have slightly different experiences when I'm watching a film versus when I'm watching it to review it. And this again, changes some of the perceptions, some of the things that I probably didn't pay much attention to on random TV viewings. I'm like, yeah, I love that. The score being one of the things that really did a lot for me in this. And the way the cinematography is is really shot to make New York seem like a really scary place. Like I've never been to New York, but I'm sure it's scary in other ways. But the gargoyles hanging off the <laughs> off these big buildings and that the way it was just shot, it was beautiful, and I loved it. And I agree with you. Like I've always had this perception that it was this like crazy comedy because look who's in it. But it's it's not really that. <laughs> it's something a little. It's a bit of a hybrid. There are some moments in there that are are strictly meant for adults. But it's it's more of like this paranormal light thriller. You know, you've got even the guy from Poltergeist that did the special effects there, Cummington doing this, and them having to tone it down because they're trying to reach a bit more of a broader crowd than you would with your Poltergeist. So my 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 experience with Ghostbusters has been you know lifelong, and I have this affinity for it, this nostalgia for it. Um, but it's not just solely focused on on this film, and it didn't kick off with this film which is always interesting. It's really the real Ghostbusters. And to be, I was doing a little bit of research on them and it's like, why are the, why is the character's hair color different? Why, why are they slightly different characters and all that? And I think it had to do with rights with regards to likeness and all this kind of crazy stuff. But one thing I do have to say, what's going to get me back into the figure game here is not only our episode a few episodes ago, but Troy, man, the real Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. you know, they're rebringing, they're, they're doing the same thing they've done with the, what is it? The uh, retro line in star Wars. And they're basically yes. re-releasing those figures with the same or similar sculpts, same card backs, everything. These are oh, meant yeah. to hit Walmart soon. Man, this is just going to like amp it up again for me. <laughs> they look incredible. Uh, and they come the with the little monsters one? too still. Yeah. Attack, yeah. Uh, is this of the cartoon or of the first one? The cartoon. The cartoon. Oh, wow. So I might actually jump on those as well. Yeah, yeah man. And yeah. I think... Proton packs are dope. Yes. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... I want to say NECA. I might be wrong. But I think there was a recent release of high-end figures or at least sculpts in for this original 1984 ghostbusters as well the original characters um, yeah yeah i think it was a diamond select oh maybe was a diamond yeah. it's one of those yeah, two yeah yeah well detailed though yeah yeah exactly so you know and when we looking back at, at 1984 here it, it was an interesting year i didn't realize that you look at this year you've got ghostbusters gremlins the karate kid terminator nightmare on elm street the never-ending story like it's it's a pretty wild year. Beverly Hills Cop, Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, Footloose. Oh. Like this was oh, a pretty oh, intense oh, year when it comes yeah. to theatrical releases of of some films that are still held up as like these pop culture like phenomenons, like these these things that have this cult following. And it's it's so interesting looking back at this. And I didn't realize until we're doing a little bit of research for this episode that Ghostbusters for opening release it, it grossed or opening release it grossed i believe in the in the neighborhood of about 13 million dollars but domestically it pulled in 242 million dollars oh like that is a huge huge hmm. number for something that was released on june 8th of 1984 wow yeah yeah wow it's absolutely insane it makes it the 
I think second highest grossing film, if you consider films released in that year, there was Beverly Hills Cop, which outgrossed it, but it was released in December. But the way that we do the box office, it's technically the second highest grossing film of 1984. And it did top out by a good margin, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So the follow-up to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is I found really interesting there. And Sanjay, just before this, you had pulled up what that means in present-day dollars. And it was somewhere around $622 million domestically that that pulled in when you take in reference to ticket sales, inflation, and all that, ticket prices, I should say. Which, to put it in perspective, Avengers grossed $623 million at the domestic box office. So this that shows how big this film was in 1984 and how much imagination, how much of the country and how much of that box office it really captured. It's, it's absolutely insane when you look at that. If they had released that now, they'd have to go back and do solo films for all four of them <laughs> and then have them team up in Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, Ghostbusters 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's quite interesting you say that because even um, you, you look at the, the, the reboot, it did not do nearly that well. <laughs> no and i yeah. think the second one i haven't seen it but i imagine same kind of thing because if the second one had done well they probably would have done a third one yeah well they, the original cast but it was just yeah they had issues with the cast coming back and they were set on the four of them right but yeah bill murray's mm-hmm. been pretty difficult to pin down for it so yeah, there was always that rumored third film for Ghostbusters. Oh, they're doing it, they're not. And now that Harold Ramis, like he he's passed. Um, I believe Ivan Reitman's also passed, so it's just not as realistic. I'm pretty certain Harold Ramis has passed. I'm not hundred percent on that, but um so it's not a reality. They both they all had some form of cameos in the two thousand sixteen reboot. And it was always a question whether or not that was set in the same universe yeah that, um, that's the one that's i know we were talking about this on the dms but yeah i kind of agree with you guys like that's the one thing that i wish the 2016 film would have done better would be to make it connect to the original first two in some sort of capacity or just start fresh and say no this is 100 percent its own thing yeah well they walked that weird line right is that you want to honor the past and reboot for the future and they kind of didn't walk that line properly they didn't give that proper nod to the old which pissed off a lot of the fanboys and then you've got a group of people that didn't like what they were doing with the reboot and so you have like this weird it sat in this like weird hole where there is so much conjecture and fury over it on the internet that it just never really materialized and look i agree with you like the the actresses in there all of them fantastic like it, it was mm-hmm it's yeah it has its flaws like most movies but it like at, at the onset it's it's a reasonable movie it's a fun movie well sanjay if you thought you were gonna lose followers here's a little ditty i own one <laughs> ghostbusters movie and the only one i own is the 2016 one like, <laughs> there you go. yeah we went and we we loved it like honestly yeah. the parts i hate about it are those awkward parts we talked about like that bill murray scene is horrible mm. yeah yeah and like all the times they tried to tie in the like city hall stuff because it's like oh the the original had this conflict with city hall so mm. we have to introduce this alderman and the mayor and it's like ugh. yeah just yeah they needed to either do their own thing or just habit where you know leslie jones is will uh, winston's daughter or melissa mccarthy is um ray's daughter and 
just kind of go from there and make it mm. your de facto Ghostbusters 3. Yeah, well, it's like the one of the best uses of a new franchise and reboot I found is the Jumanji. And the the very, very subtle reference to Robin Williams' character. I can't remember his character name. What's the character name in that, in that movie? Uh, Alan Parrish. And they just have... Alan Parrish was here carved in the thing and the one character goes yeah this is Alan Parrish's house I'm just living in it and I always thought that was a fantastic yeah. nod yeah. to the franchise and saying look mm. this this franchise is Robin Williams is that characters we're just borrowing the concept and, mm. and moving it to a different space I thought that was a really awesome way to acknowledge the past and not just like you didn't have to have Alan Parrish show up like of course Robin Williams is not going to show up but you didn't have to have like this over like this spotlight on the fact that this is a continuation it's just one small line and it was just like this beautiful throwback and acknowledgement of what came and then just moving forward yeah, and that's all you really needed in that you didn't need to like you could have just had an, an old newspaper framed up in city hall and said oh you remember these guys you know it's it could have been anything like that but that's neither here nor there because we're not here to talk about 2016's ghostbusters we're here to go back <laughs> in time and talk about the original Ghostbusters, who are you gonna call, guys? Come on, tell me that you've not been humming that theme song all week. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I'm gonna throw it at the start of the show, actually, just so that's stuck in everyone's head. But yeah. <laughs> oh man, like I that that to me, I can hear that as a kid. I can hear that as an adult. I can hear it in my head right now. Like it's it's just mm-hmm. something super catchy about it, eh? Oh yeah. I mean, I knew about the song. Everyone knows about the song. Even if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, you know about the song. Like. Every Halloween, it's pretty much played on repeat. Yeah, in radio stations, right? Yeah, it's 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 there. It's it's kind of frames out this whole thing, and I I just love what it comes with. And I just before we get going into here and to kind of walking through this film a little bit here, I, I want to get your guys' opinions on on the score itself and and the cinematography. This is something that we have a tendency to to discuss a little bit when we're talking about reviews. And I never, like I said earlier, I never paid attention to the score in this too too much. But I find it's it's on the nose sometimes, but the small notes that they use to increase the tension in certain scenes, like even in this first library scene or when we're supposed to be feeling like something's coming, I, th- I find it does really well with that. And then like the cinematography, I find the way that they frame out New York and then the way they use the camera angles to make it seem scarier, I, I liked what they did there because it-, it really set the tone of the film for me. And it had to walk this really weird line between being you know, serious enough and real enough that this whole ghost and paranormal thing wasn't played off as an absolute and just joke throughout this whole thing because these guys were pretty serious about it but they also wanted to be i guess more fundamentally a bit of a comedy or at least pulling some of those threads but i found it struck a good balance but the scores for me helped a lot with that like troy did you find you know you're a big score guy cinematography guy too did you find that same aspect or was it kind of a throwaway for you um a bit of a throwaway <clears throat> Sorry, a bit of a throwaway for the uh, cinematography, but the score was cool. I really like how the score, like you mentioned, it kind of did pull me in in certain spots that were kind of eerie. I felt it worked the best. And there's some other scenes or other moments where the score is kind of forgettable. But it was pretty interesting to see what they did for back then, seeing yeah. how it wasn't really – I mean, I, I wasn't around back then, but I don't think it was marketed as like a horror film by any means. So it was kind of cool for some aspects they could kind of get that out of the audience. 
just yeah. in little doses. So I appreciate it for sure. Yeah, for sure. It always felt like this like haunted mansion type thing, like from exactly. Disney. Like even with the effects, it was like I always felt like I was on a ride in Disney World when I'm looking mm-hmm. at a lot of this stuff. To <laughs> <laughs> be dead honest with you, so Carl, this so- would be an amazing ride. Is you you guys are theme park junkies. Have you been to any theme parks where there is a Ghostbusters ride? Because I think that would be fantastic. That'd be awesome. Universal used to have like a stunt show or something yes. like that. Oh, speaking of which, my I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom showing me like she videoed it for me, <laughs> and it was basically the final scene of the film where they're they're you know getting whatever Zool and all that, and they're kind of doing the crossing the streams and the Ghostbusters. That's and I think the Marshmallow Man comes in there at some point too, if I remember correctly from cool. the the awesome. pirated video my mom did. <laughs> And she was the first like leaker of like trailers 100 percent. and well and they also had the car down there too that they pull onto the lot and drive around the, the lot there at universal um but honestly like when you look at effects in that haunted mansion in disneyland disney world it gives you a very very similar vibe the kind of like the smoke and mirrors type stuff that they're using in there and that they use when they originally constructed that ride they're using similar technology here on screen which is kind of cool um, but Carlos, what, what do you think about the score and how they framed this movie from a cinematography perspective? Uh, as far as how it was shot, I thought they did a good job um, expanding the scope of the film and making the film seem a lot bigger than it actually was. Like when you when you're watching the movie, you feel like it's in it's taking place all over New York and that everybody's affected and that you're all over the place. But in actuality, you're not. You're just no. in a couple locations. Uh, but they do a good job of um, working with the money that they had and making the scope of the film feel a lot bigger than it actually was. Uh, and you can tell there's a ton of like stock footage and stuff in there. Oh, where, yeah. <laughs> where there. But I thought the, the economy of scale with that was was done well. The score, I'm kind of with Troy. Like, um, There's not a ton of it that sticks out, except for when they're gearing up and driving from the fire hall to... Uh, Dana's apartment like the crisis point and you have mm-hmm. that that almost kind of like thriller type music playing as they're driving up and then they get dumped into the into the sewers there and then come back up <laughs> and the score kicks in again like yeah I, that was probably the most effective use of music in the movie for me but uh, yeah, it, it was done well and especially for its time it it feels a lot bigger and a lot um, a lot more real than things like indiana jones back then and what yeah so yeah very much so what about you sanjay man like when you're looking at this from very fresh eyes and mm-hmm. having the context of the, the the new ghostbusters there and even this broad film library that you have in your head how does this stand up from a, a score perspective in cinematography you know the score um I don't remember too much about it. And, um, you know, that could be a good thing too, because sometimes you remember really terrible scores, but this one here, it didn't really jump out on me one way or another. Now, maybe I have to be like you and get like multiple viewings and then really focus on it. But to be honest with you on a first watch, I was just kind of immersed in the story. Um, so I didn't notice the score, um, that way, but in terms of cinematography, man, this thing was beautiful. Like I really love the ending. Um, when they're like standing on top of the apartments and they show like New York and like the sky's like red and you can see all the apartment buildings. It's like, man, that looks fantastic. Like, I think that's just like a painted background or something, Mm -hmm. but it looked amazing. And like, it's definitely like got that eighties vibe to it. Like in terms of like some of the special effects and whatnot, but I, I had like, I don't know 
who came first, but I have a feeling Tim Burton really drew influence from this movie. When you look at a movie like Beetlejuice, um, you could really tell like some of the transformations seem similar to me. Uh, and just some of the monster designs like of the, um, of the Zool or the uh, little like dog or the big dogs that were like running around. So in that aspect, I really noticed that. And um, seeing New York in terms of like 1980s, going back 30 years later and looking at it, you get like this nostalgic feel, even though I wasn't in New York at that time, but just (laughs) seeing like the cars and the dress, like the attire and uh, just like the locations. I thought that was really cool to like, it's kind of like a time capsule of New York, if you will, uh, in the eighties. So for that, in that perspective, I thought the cinematography was top notch, like um, 10 out of 10 for me. And and even the special effects, like I'd give them like top notch, but I'm a, I'm a sucker of 80s movies, so <laughs> special effects for me don't have to be, like, Transformers amazing. They just have to be, I don't know, just not, like, the worst. It's <laughs> an interesting <laughs> sentence. Thought, like, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me clarify that. So, like, the effects don't have to be, like, Transformers level in terms of, like, today's standards where you look and you're like, okay, those are flawless. But, like, I, I can see um, the effects, and I, I know that they came in the 1980s. But that still didn't take me away from the film because I thought they were done well enough um, looking at it from 2020 eyes. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way of putting it is that other than the end, which I find gets a bit more on the campy side, the intro to a lot of this into the paranormal is very well done. And I never felt myself even today or yesterday when I watched it saying like, ooh, like I can see the dark lines or I can see how they did this. Like it's, it's I think they use the technology they had very well to integrate mm-hmm. to the film and didn't overuse it. It wasn't like you had stuff flying at you all the time, right? It was used when they had to use it to make a point or, or to really demonstrate what they wanted to in the film. And it wasn't an overused effect that you kind of got, it kind of drew away or pulled you out of the film in any capacity. Um, and that's really goes into kind of the first scene here. You know, we got this, you know, introduction to the library and it's made to be this spooky library, the stacks and all this. And it kind of just drives you straight into it. You know, there's not a whole ton of setup other than kind of this first 30 seconds in the library. And then, boom, we've got our main characters here. And we're starting to understand them a little bit. And we're starting to understand kind of, you know, Peter Venkman's a bit of the, the mouth of the Ghostbusters. You got Ray Stan, Stan Aykroyd here's a bit the, that, that optimist, that kind of the heart of the Ghostbusters. And you got Harold Ramis here as Egon Spangler as he's a bit of the brains of the operation when it comes down here. And I love Harold Ramis' character and the way he plays it. Um, I find that everything he gives us is, is just fantastic. But let, let's talk about these characters. You know, I'm going to throw it to you first, Carl's here, because you seem to take particular issue here <laughs> with <laughs> Mr. Venkman. You know, and I, I don't disagree with you. Him playing the ladies' man, he he had a lot of focus in this film. And he's kind of what I would say is the, the de facto leader if I can say that, of the Ghostbusters here. And he brings a certain element to this film, which I think is required when you put him up against especially Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who are playing, you know, for especially Dan Aykroyd, a fairly comedic guy coming off SNL and all that. He plays it pretty straight. Like he's, there's no one that's kind of the over the edge goofball. Like Bill Murray is really meant to be, I think more the comedic guy in this I, I, that there's no one that stands out as kind of like the goofball that's meant to be throwing the one-liners and all that. He's he kind of plays a bit of this ladies' man type thing and a bit creepy sometimes. 
but also he's I I find him um and a little bit endearing. Uh, I don't know if you're going to hold that same opinion, um, Carlos. <laughs> I, I agree that he's creepy sometimes. All the time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like Egon is by far my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. Like the the dry wit and that mm-hmm. kind of dry humor that he brought to the film was awesome. I loved how he played with Janine. Um, and he kind of was the straight man and oblivious to her fawning over him. <laughs> dig winston i thought he was a good flavor to to the group and the team would have got a bit stale with without him um ray like you said the heart of the team he was interesting you 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 really felt his passion for the concept of ghost busting and he was a bit of an infectious character but like man go home with that lecherous Bill Murray character. Like, are you trying to tell me that this kind of, this pockmarked, balding, <laughs> grotesque old man is supposed to be the ladies' man that, like, the college students are falling over themselves for? That Whoa, they, man, that's Bill that Murray. Day, Dana Barrett. Hey, film hipster. This is my platform. <laughs> <laughs> that... that Sigourney Weaver's Dana Barrett, this put together um, Lower East Side musician in New York, is going to be falling over herself for this like lechery, misogynistic, like just <laughs> rapey quasi scientist guy. Like he wasn't even a real scientist. Like <laughs> Egon and Ray were the brains of the group. Yeah. They should have just hired Winston and his brother. Like yeah. they didn't need that guy. All he was. All he was was a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. Like, so I guess me yeah. calling him endearing is probably not. No, I, I would have rather had the animated Peter from the show come in. Like, he was like, yeah, he's a smooth-talking, good-looking guy. And then I'm like, what? What? What is this guy? What? Why is he 15 years older than Ray? What's going on? This pretty girl doing this so. this psychic thing wouldn't be falling for this guy. <laughs> no, he's terrible. <laughs> Why do you tell us how you really feel? No, so oh I God. shouldn't lend you my copy of Lost in Translation. No, you <laughs> can keep it. Keep it. <laughs> let, let, let me let me let me hear your take on on Peter Vankman, even the, and the rest of the crew here. You know, I, I did leave out Winston in here on purpose because he he does fit. I think, and I agree with you, Carlos. He comes in at a point when the the characters themselves need a bit of uplifting, and he does. I agree, bring a different element to the group. Um, someone that's not maybe an egghead or creepy. So <laughs> Troy, <laughs> what, what's your thoughts yeah, on man. Peter Vankman here, Ray Stans, and Egon Spangler, and and the actors that play them? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what I can say now after that. Um, you know, coming as a kid, the cartoons for me is always about Peter and Winston. That was the, those are my two guys. Um, I do know there's a big difference between the animated Peter and the movie Peter. So when I revisited this film, um, obviously as a kid, you know, a lot of the rapey stuff went right over my head. And then looking at it now, especially in today's day, I'm like, whoa, man, you're you're crossing the line pretty hard here. But I feel like, you know, he does carry himself in a certain way, at least at the beginning. He has like that swagger, that that gravitas where it's like he kind of made it so you don't have to be like Brad Pitt to get the girl or get the younger girl. Like he kind of like fits that mold that he just makes it work with what he has. And and he does it. His confidence in himself is like next to ne- like no one. You know, he's he's all about himself. He believes in himself more than anybody. And um, 
I don't know, man. I, I I know he's creepy, but he still was a standout for me in this film. I thought he was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. All the comedic chops for me was from that guy. His delivery was so kind of mild, but it just it just worked for me. He kind of has a bit of that Han Solo-ness going on, minus the looks, obviously. Um <laughs> Man, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying completely, Carlos. Like I wouldn't fight yeah. it, but he um he 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 cracked a smile on me quite a bit throughout this film. It was him and him and Winston, definitely. And the chemistry along with everybody too was so good. Like you kind of need like that that jerk on the team. Because yeah. if you take that guy out, you need that Raphael, you need that 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 Peter, right? Um yeah. that Wolverine on the team. And uh yeah, he, he worked for me, man. He worked for me. Yeah, he would be a very different character in 2020 if this film came out. Definitely. <laughs> uh, they would want his head on a stake. <laughs> but nonetheless, I agree with you there that you do need a character like this in the team. And I believe the role was originally written for John Belushi. Not John. Which one passed away? Jim? Uh, Jim. Nope. Jim Belushi lived. John Belushi. So coming off the back end of Animal House here, Ivan Rittman no. directed that. This role, Ray Stantz, or Dan Aykroyd, sorry, was was good friends with him uh, from the SNL days, and he unfortunately passed before they had finished the script here. So that role, in some capacity, was originally written for John Belushi. I keep getting them mixed up. And so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it was always meant to be kind of the 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 – the, the the character in the group that stood outside of the the Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis character, um, but what do you what do you think? You know, fresh eyes here again, Sonny of, of Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. You're you're coming at these with twenty twenty eyes, so I'm assuming yeah, maybe man. you're a little bit more aligned with Carlos. <laughs> uh, um, you know, honestly, like you totally like pick up on it. Like watching from twenty twenty uh, when he's like with the uh his one of his students and he's he's hitting on her pretty good there um so like you definitely notice it but for me what stood out was the uh was the chemistry between the cast like uh just the back and forth dialogue Troy that you mentioned and the one-liners that uh Bill Murray has like, he he plays the character so deadpan and so grumpy but like he says he says like these lines that he's kind of like winking at the audience in a way yeah. like um when Susan Sarandon's character is um, is transforming into Zool, and then she's all like um, coming Weaver. on to him and Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> so, I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. Um, so Sigourney Weaver, um, when her character is turning into Zool, and um, you know he he goes to visit her at the at her apartment, and then she's like, uh, you know, she's like trying to come on to him and stuff, and then he's like, oh. Like, is, is that a new outfit or like something's changed or something like just like the dry wit, like the humor. Those yeah. are the lines that like I remember that cracked me up and there, there's more of them, you know, but it's, they're just so like tongue in cheek in a way that they, they definitely uh, stood out for me. Um, the rest of the characters, I was actually amazed at like how little screen time some of the characters got like Slimer. I, you know, maybe this is just like me remembering from the cartoon. I always thought he was like such a big character in the movie and maybe he is in the second one. No. But I thought he was there for like a lot of screen time. Stave Puff Marshmallow guy, same thing. And uh, Ernie Hudson as uh, Winston. I thought he was like there from the beginning. I always thought there was like four Ghostbusters that like ghost busted from day one, but I was shocked to see that he came in like two thirds of the movie and I was yeah. like, When's Winston gonna come in? Like yeah. I remember him from the cartoon. Yeah. So stuff like that, it was just kind of like threw me for a loop because I was just like, 
I don't know, because, like, I knew of these characters, and I know, like, how popular they were. So I thought, like, for sure these characters would be in it for, like, more than half the movie. But, no, that's what really surprised me. And um, the other character, I will say, is Rick Moranis. I mean, that yeah. guy, he's a beautiful <laughs> man. Tully, like, yeah. he is so funny. <laughs> Just his, like, Canadian accent. I was like, do we really sound like that? <laughs> yep. But he was so funny. Like, he, he plays such, like, a little dweebus and like um i love like you know like the one-liners that i mentioned at the end when he gets rescued and then they're like oh we're the ghostbusters and he's like oh who does your taxes like i thought that was hilarious like some of the lines like that i love that he's an accountant like any and he really plays into that and i love too that he's got so much optimism every time that zagorni weaver turns him away he's just like you think he's going to be all sad and mopey? He's kind of like, okay, well, you can come by later. It's fine. Like, it's almost like that <laughs> yeah. he's inconveniencing oh, her yeah. by having a party yeah. and inviting right. her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when he's saying, like, the TV was turned up. And uh, yeah. so I just turned my TV up, too. So that way they think something's wrong with all the TVs. It's <laughs> gold, man. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. <laughs> he is. He is good. Um, I will. I will throw it out there that I agree with you, Carlos. That Egon Spangler is my favorite character in this film. Yeah. And uh, to your point too about Slimer, Sonny. So Slimer is a character of the real Ghostbusters, really. Like that's uh, where, like, when he moved into the firehouse, and that's where mm-hmm. I think even the name Slimer. Like, I think they mention he's been slimed, but I don't think they ever in either of the two movies refer to the character as Slimer in the same capacity that he was an active character in the real Ghostbusters. So that's what you remember, mm-hmm. right? And that's where the, like, almost the figures come from is from the real Ghostbusters. And it wasn't so much in this film where he kind of plays kind of that, like not so much an antagonist, but he is definitely a little bit different than he is in this. And, you know, him and Venkman have that kind of give and take, that love-hate relationship in the real Ghostbusters. <clears throat> and so that's, that's kind of where you're remembering Slimer from. It's kind of this, like, yeah. it's funny because that's where, like, this whole franchise is kind of, like, bits and pieces are stuck, and you don't know exactly where it all came from, but it's all stuck inside of your head from various different things, whether it's toys, films, or cartoons. So it's an interesting franchise in that aspect. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like going to, like, a Chinese restaurant, and then you get, like, pizza. You're just like, what? Like, I know I've had pizza before, but, like, where did it come from? You're totally right. Like... Like Slimer, they mentioned Slimer once. I don't in quite the understand that, but <laughs> oh, that makes perfect sense. Maybe there's sense. higher like... intellects out there that got that one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's we, we kind of touched a little bit on on the visual effects here, and when we're in this public library for kind of that first encounter with the paranormal with a ghost, this is one of my favorite scenes in the film. It's kind of this first instance, this first encounter where we have kind of the. Um, the cards flopping out of the the thing or the Dewey Decimal System cards and all that. You've got the books floating back and forth, stacking up. And then you've got this, like, scene where they have this encounter with this librarian. And, again, this goes in huge credit to the special effects. Like, this, to me, it's, it's all – most of it, I believe, is done through kind of that smoke and mirrors, but pr- it's all practical, right? And – it's, it's such a great introduction to not only, like you said, the chemistry of the characters, the back and forth they have when they're trying to decide what to do. And I love this because it's they're, they're portrayed as like the leaders in Paranormal and then they have an encounter and all of them are like, uh, like what do we do? <laughs> like, yeah. You go first. And they send out Peter, right? <laughs> it's like you go talk to him and then Ray has this idea. I think it's such a, it's a, such a cool way to say 
here's the tone of the film here's the characters oh and here are these visual effects that we're going to use like this is like this is like a proper ghost movie i I love this first scene you know sunny like when you're watching this like you get the tone the characters the visual effects right away and you get kind of what i would say the first three quarters of the movie tonally really is about it gets a little different towards the end but i love how this kicks off how you like do you do you love that this this first scene the same way i'm I'm projecting here oh yeah man like as someone who watches horror movies all the time like this scene holds up and you talk about the special effects i've seen recent films with ghosts in it that don't look as good as this one does and you know it all goes back to that practical effects because nowadays a lot of times they'll throw a cgi ghost in there or something and it's just it just doesn't have that like quality that this one does. Like you look at the ghost and you're like, yeah, like th- this is legit kind of scary. You got like these people just going in and the cards are flying out. And so I was kind of expecting like, okay, like is this tone like is Ghostbusters a horror film? But then like as you go on and you see like all the like the one-liners and the jokes, you're like, no, it kind of is in a way. Like it is supernatural, but it definitely is more comedic. And and you definitely get that in the beginning with like um Venkman who's like trying to collect the like ectoplasma and he's like oh I'll collect like the boogers or something <laughs> like just like the one liners like that so um in terms of like the opening scene like yeah man like this totally draws you in um even like uh even like you know before the credits roll you kind of are like okay like let's let's get in and let's see where we're going to go with this film so i definitely think it's a very effective opening like drew me in right away yeah it's i find it very economic it kind of throws you into it it doesn't it doesn't warm you up to an encounter and it doesn't require you to spend too much time with the characters to kind of really understand the interaction and what each individual is about now troy kind of jumping back into this for the first time in a while Mm -hmm. this, this scene suck you in the same way maybe it used to Totally does. I totally forgot about this scene, man. Like I said, it's been so long since I've seen this and I barely even remember the film. So it almost feels pretty much brand new. But, you know, going into the library and, you know, you have that that Joe Costa moment almost, you know, from, from yeah. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but um, she's not as bad. She's not as bad as, as Star Wars. But um, no, the, the effects, though, really, for me, it's probably some of the best effects throughout the whole film right here in this first little scene here. It's, it's great. It's a mix of that practical and smoke and mirrors, what they're pulling off there for what they what they could do back then was just great. And I love this whole, like, okay, these guys are like scientists, but then when it comes, when stuff hits the fan, they really don't know how to handle the situation <laughs> by any means. And, and when Ray finally does, it's like, that's what she did. It's yeah. terrible, but um, still, <laughs> it works for me. No, I thought it was really cool what they did in this, in this beginning. It really gets your attention. And again, building off the chemistry just between Ray and Peter right there off the bat, I'm, I'm rooting for these guys. And I totally believe these guys have been teaching together for quite some time. So I like it. Fantastic scene. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Carlos? Like, it's it's an interesting way to introduce you to the the world of Ghostbusters, right? They do a lot of this exposition through Ray Stance's character in particular about this, that, the other thing. I can't even repeat half of it, but I find that yeah, that kind of stuff just goes way over your head, and it's never intended for you to understand what the hell he's talking about, ectoplasma and all this kind of stuff. Like these are all brand new words for me, even now, like remembering them again, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about, but they (laughs) project a lot of that chemistry. And this first scene sets a lot of that. This is kind of what it's going to be like, as coming in from your perspective, you know, seeing it when you're a bit younger, revisiting now, does this have the same effect on you? 
Yeah, it does a good job painting the picture, right? Like it establishes very quickly that like uh, Ray is the he's the expert on these things, and he's going to be the guy that's going to have the answer eventually. But he's not the bravest, so they need like the sex offender guy to go in there first. <laughs> goes down, it's no loss to the citizens of New York, and then oh, and, man. and then you have <laughs> this is going to be an awesome thread through the podcast, <laughs> anchoring yeah. anchoring the group as the analytical mind who's going to create those technologies that see them through and to go back to what Sonny was saying like with the practical effects and the way that it was shot like so effective and it immerses you in this world right away and I just loved watching it again it, it feels so um, so tangible and so real yeah like I, I watched uh, Spider-Man Far From Home a couple weeks ago and I, I found myself like almost annoyed when like just scenes like the kids on the bus or when they're like walking around um, the different cities because you could tell that they were just walking around on a soundstage with little pieces of tape all over the place and everything was <laughs> digitally imposed behind them. And I'm like, well, why why wouldn't you just shoot kids on a bus? Like make it feel real. Why yeah. spend the money on the? But whereas with Ghostbusters, they're having a scene where they're interacting with this spectral librarian and it feels real it's yeah. like i believe it was Tim shot Tom videotaping yeah exactly yeah, it's right yeah, there yeah. i believe it was shot in the new york public library like i think most of these are like location sets um where they did a lot of this i think they did some soundstage stuff but this stuff was like done right there it's i agree like i think that's it's such a cool aspect especially of these older films where they didn't have the technology right they're basically inventing the technology as it goes and this likely mm-hmm. benefited in some capacity from star wars and from indiana jones and from poltergeist and from these other films that came before that were really at the forefront of bringing special effects into films in a big way and i think it shows here and they like i said earlier they use it at the right time right it's and it's from a distance that lady's floating like i, I love all these shots in in this library scene um, and then we kind of we start to really ramp up the pace of the film here and we don't again don't waste any time getting to the creation of the ghostbusters now this comes out of them being fired for being kind of the laughing stocks of of the university there columbia university <laughs> and being like this isn't real science <laughs> and so they're pushed out and you've got from you know the, the brainchild of, of Ray Stance and Peter Venkman here, creation of, of the Ghostbusters with Harold Ramis, with Egon Spangler making all this fancy technology. And this is, you know, I love, again, this, this starting when it's just like, here you go, we're going to be in a firehouse with a fire pole. We're going to have this sweet car. And they almost have like this like pseudo montage here where you develop all of this like iconic imagery of the Ghostbusters, including the symbol, through a, a very simple, like, just uh, this scene. I it just, everything about the toys and everything, the car and all that, just is captured here in this, this scene where it's like, here's the Ghostbusters, guys. This is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to look. And you've got the suits and everything, because the next scene here we're going to talk about is this hotel encounter. Like, Talk me through this a little bit, Carlos. When you're looking at the the creation of the Ghostbusters here as they embark on their first real mission as the Ghostbusters, that really cheesy commercial, and they're kind of like right before they get into to actually doing their thing, like does this, this, like I said, iconic imagery, like does this just pull you into it and how they execute it so economically 
you know, I, I find that that's one of the best parts of the film, especially the first bit here. It's very economic storytelling. Yeah, it was a nice bookend to you have that little montage of them uh, cobbling together what their business is going to be. And you kind of feel that these guys are on their last legs mm -hmm. where it's like if this doesn't work, they're out on the street like. They were fired from their jobs as professors because of Peter's sexual harassment and stuff and <laughs> takes Ray and Egon down with them. And then so they they pull together, create this business. And, and you do kind of feel like if this doesn't work, these guys are hooped. And then, yeah, they have that cheesy commercial. And then it bookends nicely with the next montage, which is them. And they're at the oh, yeah. peak of their prowess as Ghostbusters. And I that's probably the piece of the movie I appreciate the most because it kind of channeled the cartoon where these guys are going through business and taking care of ghosts wherever they pop up in New York. So yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was a, a nice piece of filmmaking there to, I'd almost argue that the first dining hall scene is your showpiece scene of the movie. Yep. So you have the two montages on either side of it to frame it up. Yeah. Yeah. Nice piece. Of it's, it's really well done. Like I'll keep repeating myself. The first part of this movie is, is, you know, breakneck it's on point. It gives you everything that you need, including, the Ectomobile, Troy. Yeah. Come on, oh. this thing. It pulls up. It's a piece of mm. junk. And yeah. next couple of scenes, man, this thing is looking crisp. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. That's solid. Because it was it Peter's one that buys the vehicle. And I'm Ray, 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 shows up with, Ray shows up with it. Did Ray show up in it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, that, that mobile, though, that's that thing is like iconic. I don't think it gets much better. It's like that and the Batmobile, the turtle van. Those are the three vehicles. <laughs> oh, shoot. I guess it's also the. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot that. But um, there's the cars, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But no, man, no, this is awesome. This is great. This is the Ghostbusters I know, basically. Once we get them in the suits yep. going on, I like the, the cheesy kind of commercials that they're doing, which is fine. But for me here, this is when the team really kind of shines a little bit when we finally get that formation of the three going around doing their things. And like you mentioned, Carlos, I think um, basically it's like this is what feels like the cartoons for me, you know, basically here. So yeah, no, this is great. It's not the, the best montage out there. Like, you know, I, I hope my montage is pretty high when it yeah, comes to movies. So this, is, this isn't quite there. You know, there's, there's not enough training, not enough sweat, not enough tears. But um, <laughs> no, man, this this is cool. This is good. Not enough coming of age in this film. <laughs> no, man. Nah, nah. We need that prequel story. We got a prequel story first. <laughs> right oh, I want to see these guys growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a whole film. <laughs> Sanjay, we're about to jump into, and I agree with you, Carlos, kind of one of the, kind of that, that set piece where we're introducing what the Ghostbusters are, are capable of. But the firehouse, man, you spoke of this as being kind of one of the toys that you remember. And this is our remember. first introduction into the concept of the firehouse, which I think is just fantastic. Seedy part of New York, but it's it's just such a great scene, right? Oh, yeah. And, like, I've actually visited the fire hall in New York, and really? they have a Ghostbuster. Oh, yeah. And they have a Ghostbuster sign in the fire hall. Like with the symbol and everything, like still to this day. So I think it's still like a working fire hall. So that's pretty cool. Um, I, yeah, like I, I'm with you guys. You know, there's not much I can add. The one thing I will say, though, that I laughed at was uh, when he remortgages his house to pay for it. <laughs> they're talking about the mortgage rate and it's 19%. Yeah, imagine that. And like in what world, you know, like that's one thing that dates is like 19%. Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, my first you parents signed their first mortgage at 21% interest, I believe. Oh my goodness. It was gracious. like a $15,000 house, but still. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's wild. That's the one thing that I, you know, 
being in fine house i was like 19 percent. oh my goodness but I, i'm with you guys like terrific I love how all your favorite parts are like man when they were talking about the mortgage rates and how <laughs> lewis was an accountant and yeah <laughs> hmm <laughs> told you man rick moranis is my spirit animal <laughs> you're, you're numbers guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so well, let, let's talk about slimer here you know he was the character you thought had a, had a big big part in this film and it turned out to be just a bit of a cameo but this is probably the the most fun that they have with slimer in all of the ghostbuster films uh notwithstanding the, the cartoon for sure but this is where we get that first full chase through the the hotel and then the eventual don't cross the streams but the proton packs and seeing what the ghostbusters are actually capable of carrying these nuclear reactors on their backs, which is another great scene. They're going up the elevator, and Ramus flicks it on. He kind of stands back in the elevator. Like <laughs> it's it's a great way, I think, to introduce the what the Ghostbusters are all about. And then you're right, Carlos. We go straight into this this you know what I call boom time montage. Right? It's this is what they do. This is the best one of the best parts of the film, and it's also one of the best parts in number two as well. <laughs> it's the same, almost the same exact same montage we're having them do what they do and you see their confidence build through this and they're always always got cigarettes hanging out of their mouths while they're catching ghosts too that dates it as well sunny yeah everybody's smoking i was like what's going on here yeah. you never see that in this day and age yeah and i'll never forget the scene where i think i can't remember what scene it is but i think it's ray and he's got he drops a cigarette but it just like hangs on his lip yeah <laughs> It's like I'll go, I always remember. I was like, it's kind of a weird thing, just hung there. <laughs> but but I, let's let's talk about Sunny about the the hotel encounter yeah. with Slimer here, and and really when we get into Ghostbusters proper. Yeah, man. Um, but before we do that, we're talking about the montage. And one question I had: you guys have seen this more than me. Um, what's his name? Dan Aykroyd's character, Ray Stance. Ray. Um, does he like dream, or does he have sex with a ghost? There is definitely a subtle <laughs> BJ nod to ghosts. Right? <laughs> I'm watching this. And Maybe like, subtle's wait, the wrong word. It's not subtle at all. <laughs> um, I forgot where I was. Oh yes, the uh, the hotel scene. Um, I I loved it, man. Like Slimer, he's hilarious. You see this like disgusting little g- green blob that like I had the action figure growing up, and I'm like, all right, it's Slimer time, and like he runs into Peter and he gets them all slimed and. Just like the fact that the Ghostbusters, they're like, they're in this like highfalutin hotel, and the guy's like, we need the most utmost of discretion, and they just like fling in there with the like Ecto One car, and then they like just trash the place. Yeah. Uh, man, that, that's gold, man. That's good stuff. So, and the special effects, like I thought it was pretty cool, and like um, the streams were really cool, like when they're shooting the the blast, and I like how um, Harold Ramis's character is just like, oh yeah, don't. Uh, don't cross the streams and it's just like just like a minor thing is like why is that because we would all die just like this like little subtle thing that he just forgot to mention oh by the way it would cause a nuclear reaction that would destroy all of new york but uh other than that just carry on and they're not even like phased by it they're like yeah okay just don't remember this for later because we're gonna need it for the plot (laughs) 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 but no man i i love that scene and like you know as i said going back and looking at like old New York, but like just looking at this hotel, I just thought like the hotel looks so cool. And I was like, man, I would stay here for sure. Like this looks super cool. And you have like the ballroom all like laid out a little bit of shining nods to me on that. I don't know which came first, the shining or this, but definitely that hotel had some, 
had a little bit of the overlook in me in me uh remembering i'm telling so. you it's the set and way they shoot things that make you think like oh this is a pretty scary town <laughs> oh, yeah like at, for a non-horror movie and you're not even a horror guy tim like Man, I'm surprised. if this was horror i'd be out of here like this is like <laughs> this is about my line <laughs> if this was like 10 percent more tim would be like not a fan at all like he wouldn't have even re- reviewed this movie. I, I wouldn't even have put it up on the poll to be honest with you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Troy, man, you're you you've mentioned already. You're 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 the montage guy. You like a good montage here. Mm-hmm. But uh does this does this get you into the action here and, and Slimer this whole scene here with the hotel and all that? Yeah, man, no, the Slimer, um I think for me the Slimer and I guess the um like the the blasts that come out, like the blaster effects, yeah, I think that's about pack. it. The proton packs, yeah. So I feel like after here, the movie kind of loses its budget. I feel like the effects start to go away. <laughs> I agree with you, man. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty strong uh, in this first bit. The first, uh, yeah, about the first half, are we? Not even. Yeah, but um, 30 minutes, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty early on. No. So that's cool. But I do like the chase scene. I like how Peter, I think it's Peter that gets slimed there, too, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> the whole thing, which is just pretty it's gross. Oh, man. But no, yeah, <laughs> the set pieces are cool, man. It kind of has a bit of like an older looking um, Titanic kind of look going on there. A little bit more of a smaller scale, but it has that feel. Yeah, and I can see that. Now that you mentioned The Shining, too, I, I totally hear that. I totally feel that. So, um, no, overall, it's good. It felt like this could have been, like, an episode on, like, the animated series, this whole piece right here. And totally. I love them in the elevator, and they're all close together. And then, you know, he, he mentions the proton <laughs> pack. Like, oh, shoot. Like you mentioned, it was Egon. Is it the one that steps back? Yeah, he kind of goes into the corner. <laughs> yeah, and, and then Ray, because Ray was iconic having that headpiece, too. Yeah. I think that action figure... One of the action figures came with those. It might have been Ray. Yeah, I think goggles or whatever, right? Goggles, right? So for me, when I'm looking at everything in this movie, it's it's relating it back to the action figure pieces. Because out of all, most action figures, you know, like you'll even get like even today, like the three and three quarter line of Star Wars, you'll get like those odd like accessories that they never use in the movie. But <laughs> and, and you can say with a lot of other properties, but for me, Ghostbusters, like all that stuff just made sense. So any little accessories they gave you, it's like, yeah, like they would have this somewhere in their their HQ, right? So I'm always just looking at their the traps and the blasters, the backpacks, yeah, all that. So good. It's funny so, you say that because like my dad had like uh, just I I don't even know what the hell it was, but it was just like a little box. It was um what do you call it for testing the electrical current, and I was always carried around because it had just like a little meter on the front of it. I was yeah, carried yeah. around like it was like Egon's like whatever it was, <laughs> thing to detect <laughs> PKE meter. Yeah, PKE meter. Like that's what I always thought it was. And I my dad just it was busted. And he just gave it to me. I carried that thing around for years, thinking it was a PKE. Like <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, the yeah. gadgets. I agree with you. Oh. It's uh, it, it's yes. something else. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I agree with your point there about this probably being the best the film gets. Like the first 30 minutes is the best part of the film. Carlos, are you kind of in agreement with that, that up until about this point, the, the movie's doing very well with the characters, the set pieces, the, the paranormal aspect of it, right up through this montage. This is where I think personally the film is at its best. Yeah, I'd agree that it's at its best best year I, I don't think that it fell off as bad I, I think it just the movie got bigger in scope yeah. as to what okay. they're doing with as far as threats but yet the technology at the time couldn't bring that uh, as well as it could bring some of these smaller pieces but uh, yeah no I, I dug this scene I remember as a kid being taken aback because you were used to Slimer being cute and cuddly on the mm-hmm. show <laughs> and then he's like so grotesque when you see him in the movie and it's like well why is he so 
vile and so mean. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, kind of like with Sonny, I remember thinking, well, when does he get released and become their pet and stuff? Right? <laughs> I was expecting that throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, this, this the scene was great. I, I love the interactions with the hotel manager. And it was written really well. Like you said, they they do such a good job seeding the dialogue in to be the important parts of the resolution at the end of the movie. Yeah. So yeah, once again, some great storytelling by Ivan Reitman here. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned kind of, and Troy also mentioned where this movie, it kind of takes a bit of a shift in and around here. There's this kind of growing subplot, I'll call it, or it's, it's a kind of a thread into the, this overall paranormal origins where it does more heavily involve data Barrett scoring Weaver's character. So, <laughs> We uh we get this this whole idea of and we get a bunch of these exposition dumps about Zool, the gatekeeper, Gozer, and all this random stuff. And I don't think it's ever intended for you to take overly seriously, but that there's just this bigger paranormal threat out there that needs to be addressed. And I do like how they interweave some of this because at times you could say that you know Zagorny Weaver's character is kind of just a bit out there it's she's just used as a um as just a plot device here and there but I like that they do kind of weave in her her tower or her apartment complex and it being something of a, a bit bigger and then eventually bringing in Lewis Tully character to be a bit more significant in all this i think it makes for the interspersing of this subplot through the scenes that we've already talked through i think it makes it more of a holistic story which i really like so let's talk about zagoni weaver here sonny mm-hmm. or susan sarandon not through susan sarandon <laughs> i made that mistake once i'm not making it twice so she plays kind of an interesting role and she eventually evolves into something a bit different down the road but you know having her in she's coming off the back end of of aliens um or alien and she kind of fits in this space fairly well i think would you agree with that oh absolutely like in terms of like horror scream queens sigourney weaver i had to think about that sigourney (laughs) weaver is up there she's like on the mount rushmore of scream queens and horror it's like her it's um jamie lee curtis is up there you know um there, there there's a couple others um but um yeah man she's great like she's terrific in this um just like just like she just seems like effortless like as soon as she takes on a role and she's been in some like so many iconic roles right like alien aliens she played ripley uh she's in ghostbusters she's an avatar right mm-hmm. yeah right you you just like you know these are some of the biggest movies of all time and, you know, sometimes with those actors or actresses, it's hard to, like, see them once they're in, like, an iconic role, do another role because you just see them in the first role. But Sigourney Weaver, she just gets so immersed in the character and, like, she takes over the role that, like, you know, okay, like, you know it's Sigourney Weaver, but you get lost in the fact that she's playing, like, a different character. You you can, like, you can, like dis, you know, um, you can, like, tell, like, okay, this is... Sigourney Weaver, but like this is Zol or this is uh this is her character in um Ghostbusters. So yeah, man, like she she's terrific and like the the parts where she like kinda like is possessed by Zul, you know, I, I think like those are some of the best parts and some of the funniest stuff is like, you know, she's just like kinda like going kinda nuts and kinda crazy and just like asking if he's like the gatekeeper 
And then uh, Venkman's like, no. And then like she shuts the door. And then he's like, yes, I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. I thought that was great. Um, so, yeah, man. Sigourney Weaver, Susan Sarandon. No, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> One or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, man. No, Sigourney Weaver, she's she's like, as I said, she's in the Mount Rushmore Scream Queen. So, man, nothing but love and respect for her. It's interesting. I, I don't love this character. If we're going to be 100% honest with you. I never felt the Zagorny Weaver and it, maybe it's because she's so heavily tied to this I'm not a huge like I love the way the film goes but I don't love all this Zool gatekeeper crap I don't love it in like they do as a version of it in number two as well and mm-hmm. I've never because it, it just seems so removed from what the first half an hour of the film was like this just goes into like this like deep dark paranormal blah 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 stuff and I just felt that they did such a great job with how they used the economy of the story to tell you what you wanted to see and to just do it in such, I think, in an effortless fashion. Here it's like exposition dump and then she's possessed. And then it's, I never love this aspect of it. And I think the character Zagorny Weaver suffers a bit from being tied a bit more heavily to this. And that she's also, I guess I'm going to say the love interest of Venkman a bit here. Um, Carlos, bring some perspective into this. Like, is this, do you like that? I, what I would say, and this is my personal opinion, is a bit of a, a, a shift change from what we got as far as the paranormal activity in the first part of the film into what it's now leading you towards and the big finale as we're going to talk about that. But it, this is kind of setting you up for what's coming next. Uh, you know what? I actually don't mind it. I kind of liked that they had an explanation built into the movie as to why we go from a world that poltergeists and whatnot aren't prevalent and aren't prominent and you wouldn't mm-hmm. need something like the Ghostbusters as to this. And there's that conversation between Ray and Winston where they're talking about it becoming like like it's potentially the rapture or revelation or whatever and the end of the world is coming and that Gozer is going to bring this on kind of thing. Not that those two get to it at that point in time. But I thought it was because the movie has so many real world sensibilities. I thought it was a good way of hooking in the fact that um, this is why this is starting to happen and these are the only guys that are kind of prepared to deal with it. So um yeah, a bit convenient. Well, no, I guess they built Dana's character into being their client too, right? Yeah. So um, that was good. Um, honestly, and I, I just, I really liked Rick Moranis in yeah, this movie. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Lewis is, he's probably my favorite character. I just, I found him hilarious. Like, especially that party scene where he's talking all this science <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. Like, like when he invites him and he's like, ah, oh, they, they got a $15,000 bonus and <laughs> so they're good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, like I thought the dichotomy of the two of them being like the the gatekeeper and the keymaster yeah. was yeah. kind of funny as well. Uh, the only part of this that lost me is like Gozer just kind of showing up where mm. there's no um, teases as to that being an actual physical entity. Yeah, like mm-hmm. and it could just be a matter of like being a kid at the time, but I I remember half thinking that that was Dana now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. that was 
but yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. It made sense to me as to yeah. why they played it that way. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I, I what, sorry, uh, one thing Carlos I will add is like, uh, you need a reason to get him out of jail, right? Because they're in jail at this time, so you need like a big threat. If it's just like another minor ghost or something, you could the mayor could just play it off. But it's like, yeah, this this threat's gonna take over all of New York, so you gotta let him out of jail. Well, yeah, it's I, I will agree with you that I do like that they've tied. And I think I said this before, this kind of subplot, it kind of weaves itself through the film a bit more with Sigourney Weaver's character. And I do like that they've given, like, it's this nexus for the paranormal and all this is happening and it's the architecture of the building and all this that leads you down the path. I agree with you. Like, it gives a great explanation. But for me, it's just too much. Troy, like, are you, how do you feel about this whole concept of Zool and all that and where Sigourney Weaver fits into this film in a bigger way? Yeah, you know, for the most part, I, I have to agree with Carlos on this one. Um, I feel like the execution, though, was kind of kind of the poor part in this whole ordeal, basically. Um, another thing I have to take away, too, is kind of like the big bad. I felt like it was like too big of a bad guy for these guys to take down. But I guess at the same time, they're not really promised a sequel. So you kind of have to go like balls to the wall here, basically. Because, I mean, yeah. in today's day and age, right, we have like the Avengers. We have all these big time superheroes. They're pretty much promised a sequel. Whereas these guys, you never know what's going to happen. So I feel like I guess they had to go bombastic. But, I mean, if it's today, I would rather something a little more small scale. Yeah, agreed. But um, for me, the biggest takeaway, it's actually um, Sigourney Weaver. I feel she's kind of weak in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she's... I get the feeling that she's kind of bored up until the end when she can really have fun yeah. this other role. <laughs> because for me, throughout the whole film, I, I like how she goes against Peter the whole time. That's cool. But I just feel like she's not really there. She's just going through the motions. And really, at the end, she gets to have fun by being possessed and all that stuff. That was basically like the highlight of her performance. And she's a great actress, by all means. I just felt like I was a little disjointed through her performance through most of the film. Yeah, so. she just was, like to me, it could have been anyone. And I know Sigourney yeah. Weaver, she didn't have that, like you said, scream queen, that, that same prowess that she does carry today by, by any means. But I just felt like, yeah, this is kind of a character, bit of a plot device. And she almost felt a bit wooden through those first yeah. parts and i agree with you like once we get to the possession of that yeah it, it it shifts into a different gear and she has a bit more fun with it overall um but yeah i i agree like lewis tully too you know this this whole i i love rick moranis man i wish he was in a lot more stuff but he's not <laughs> but he does he's in number two which is good um okay. and and sonny you mentioned kind of this other plot that's going on in the background that plays into the need to acknowledge the fact that ghostbusters are an important piece of, of new york society now is that we have the the epa the environmental protection agency <laughs> who is knocking on their doors every so often being like hey where are you storing all this stuff and it's it's kind of a an interesting way to to re-release all the ghosts and to put the ghostbusters in a space where they need to be called upon by the mayor or whomever it was that uh, eventually does this. But this leads us down kind of a, an interesting path when we get towards the end. But a guy that is introduced in and around this point or kind of more towards that montage here is uh, is Winston. You know, we, we touched on briefly here, guys, and made mention that this, this fourth men member adds a, a new and different chemistry to the Ghostbusters themselves. Like, I really enjoy the way that he's introduced. These guys are exhausted. He kind of comes in. And he just shows up, you're hired. Here's these things. Like I, I like the way that Ernie Hudson and you know, we we've kind of passed over this a bit before, but 
he brings that uh, new element to all this and he factors a little bit in here not so much to the environmental protection agency but he allows and provides some of the audience perspective like what's this what's that and this is how they kind of explain the grid and this is what the epa is after and so i like that they bring a different perspective in because it doesn't feel like ray and egon just explaining science to us at us the whole movie it's like they've used different characters and i think this is why a wise decision bringing in winston at this point because it allows you to you know give some exposition for what is required at the end of this film and and i do appreciate that now troy man winston was your dude in the cartoons Mm -hmm. yeah man. do you still feel the same way about the character after this kind of rewatch here yeah, no, definitely. I just, you know, totally forgot how long it took for this guy to get into the yeah. film. <laughs> it's 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 kind of crazy. But no, I do like him. He's kind of like the relatable one out of everybody yeah, because you have the two science, you know, guys that are just you can't really relate to and they have all that jargon going on. Then you have Peter who, you know, especially by Carlos's terms, he's a creep. So <laughs> you don't want to identify with that guy. So uh, Winston's the guy that you can go to. And um, no, he he's cool in this movie. I, I do like when there is it when they get sent to prison or jail and he's like i just want a job i'm just here for yeah. your paycheck basically <laughs> yeah. so i kind of like how he treats that but um no man i i love that character and um i can't remember what he's like in part two it's really foggy for me here now but he's yeah no kind of the same i think kind of the he, same he plays yeah. yeah the real man the everyman right yeah. like he's yeah. that that perspective in and it's interesting because usually in these films they bring the audience perspective in pretty early so that you have kind of that looking scope into, okay, this is what this character is, acknowledging like this is batshit crazy, like I don't know what's going on here. And to have the character come in this late is interesting. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's a welcome entry. You know, Carlos, I, I'd have to think that, that you're welcoming Winston with open arms here to give a bit more of a, a different dynamic to the group at this point. Oh yeah, no, I love Winston. Like he's uh, like shoulder to shoulder with Egon is my yeah. favorite of the team and whatnot. It, probably the only part of Winston it's not really the character or anything that bugged me, but it like it didn't make sense to me, especially watching it just this week. That these guys are absolute rock stars, and this guy walks in and he's the first guy that they yeah. hire. Like <laughs> get any other applicants, and it, and it's not like Winston. All all due respect, like it's not like he had like credentials that we saw as to why they would pick him other than they were just tired do you think like they'd have a lineup out the door kind of thing if they were hiring at the time uh, i agree with troy like i don't know why he wasn't brought in like way earlier in the in yeah. the movie and then to kind of segue into city hall like i totally hate this part of the movie like when you have your threat escalating to the point that it was you didn't even need them to go to jail or for this guy to shut the reactor down it's no like, not it's at all go down no matter what right like and I, I don't know if that was meant to, because it's interesting, because it doesn't even really resolve that in a big way, right? It kind of just leaves that, like, they release everything, and it's kind of like, okay, we got to go fight this big, big, big bad. And totally. then, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess all the things get sucked up into the, the vortex after, but I agree with you. It just seemed like a really weird subplot to throw in there. Like, why did they need to be kind of disgraced and thrown in jail and all that. Like, I guess it's like kind of the hero's journey a bit, but it just seemed like a weird thing. And it kind of, it's, you're introducing that along with this other major big subplot. And then you have Winston kind of coming in here and I, I get, and I get why they put Winston in here. Like I think from a writing perspective, it, it kind of gives you a different dynamic. It allows you to explain a bunch of stuff. 
but yeah. you probably didn't need this whole EPA undertone in this whole thing. Like that to me almost seems like, Hey, that's a great plot for number two. Totally. Is that like you have all this stuff and then bash, they're all gone. And then the rest of the movie, they're running around catching the, the, these things. You know what I mean? Like it just seemed like it was just another thing that you were trying to like figure out what was going on and just added a layer of complexity to it all. When you're already having things like Zool and Gozer and the gatekeeper chucked at you, it's like, okay, I don't know if we, we need this. So, but, uh, Sonny, my man, what's your thought? What's your thoughts on Winston here, man? You, you remember this yeah. guy coming from the cartoons. Absolutely. This is your first real introduction into how he was brought into the group. Cause if I'm not mistaken, like rural ghostbusters, he was there from day one. Correct. Yeah, man. So that's why I was much like with Troy. Like I thought this guy was going to show up much earlier. So when he shows up like two thirds of the film, I kind of had forgotten about him. I'm like, Oh yeah. Winston, like where have you been all my life? Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I love him. Uh, I just wish he had a little bit more to do. Um, you know, I just remember him kind of being a standout in the cartoon for me. So in this one here, he he shows up, but he's kind of like he's definitely like the fourth Ghostbuster. You know, he's like the fifth Beetle in a way. He's just like he's there, and you kind of like see him in and out. But he's not like you know, he's not like you know, he doesn't have as many lines as the other three. Even when he like gets introduced, in my opinion. Um, I did notice though that uh, Carl Winslow makes an appearance playing a police officer. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, right. Like apparently, that actor can only play police officers. He's in like it's Die all Hard. Connected. It's yeah. All connected. <laughs> it's family Matters. Carl Winslow. Cinematic universe. And Die Hard. There you go. It's like the Stan Lee, the early Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah. The Watcher. <laughs> the Carl Winslow trilogy. That's right. You know, before he, he hit Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hell out of New York. Yeah, he did yeah. the reverse Jim Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Speaking about connectivity, um, what's his name? Ray Stans makes a cameo appearance in Casper as a Ghostbuster. Really? Oh, really? Have you not? Have you ever seen? So Ghostbuster, or not Ghostbuster, yeah. Casper, the friendly ghost from an early 2000s, maybe? Late 90s? The live action, right? Yeah, the live action one. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Devin Sawa and, like, you know, all the, the ghosts with the three brothers that are kind of... That's right. Right? Stink. And the, the president yeah. from uh, Independence Day is in it as well. Christina Ricci. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that when they go into that house and try to get the ghosts out, Ray Stance runs out... And in the uniform and says, who are you going to call? And he just looks and says, not me, and takes off. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it's, that. It's yeah. so funny. Oh. It's like a really weird yeah. connection. Like, I remember yeah. my we had Casper on for my daughter maybe a year ago or whatever, right? And I was like, whoa. I did. Like, I never really clued into that. He has, like, a full getup on, right? Yeah, like, the full. Yeah. It must be. Yeah. Both must be done by Columbia or whatever, right? Sony. Yeah. Um, but he has, yeah, it's a full getup. It's crazy. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, nice little cameo for you there. <laughs> so as we were kind of driving towards what we'll call the final battle, we've got the mayor, yes, of course, letting them out of jail because they've been locked up for violating whatever rights um, or environmental, whatever, it doesn't matter. But as this is all kind of going on, we've got all these pieces being put into place with the kind of the Gozer dogs. And you've got what's Lewis wandering around New York. He's he's actually, like you guys said, he's, he's a really great character in this. And even some of his interactions when he's talking to the horse is quite funny. And <laughs> his, his whole possession, he's just kind of wandering through like this crazy bum just all over New York. Like it's, it's really good stuff. And it kind of builds you up to, to the climax of this film which is the interaction with, 
I always get all these. So Dana's Zool, Lewis is Vince, and then Gozer is what eventually turns out to be the physical character, right? The like she's walked off the David set Boy. of some music video or some, David Boy, yeah, right? Oh yeah, weird yeah. science like going on there. Yeah. yeah. Weird. So yeah. it it's kind of it kind of builds to that. And before we get up to the the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, Troy, let, let's talk a little bit about this this final battle. We we see them, you know, mm-hmm. as a team, you know, doing their thing, crossing the streams. They're really acting in their element here and we're we're up against what is this kind of I guess overarching antagonist for the film. It's to me this is where a bit of the special effects fall apart a bit. This is where it feels that it's not practical. And yes, I acknowledge the fact that it's 1984 and they did what they had to do and did what they could. But when you compare it to the stuff earlier on the film, you do see a bit of degradation. I don't know if this is them scaling up to a point and it's okay. We, we push our budget a little bit here, but what do you think of this kind of build up to and the final battle pre stay puff marshmallow man? Yeah, man. Well, uh, shoot, where do I start? What's, what's the dogs called? The, the terror dogs. Terror. Those, yeah. I always called ugly. them gozer dogs, but I don't think that's the right word. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's just call them the Shazam dogs. Cause those things came right <laughs> off that movie set, man. Uh, that's one oh, thing I had to, God. had to shout you out. I'm done. I'm done. But, um, <laughs> no, staying with, staying with Ghostbusters here, you know, I, this is again where I get confused with part one and two. Like I'm expecting, um, that big bad from part two, the guys in the painting. Yeah, I hate that Eagle. guy. Yeah. Eagle. I totally, totally <laughs> forgot. Hey, so no expecting... spoilers. No spoilers on the sequel guys. <laughs> oh, oh, what? It came, it came out in 1987. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I'm going to spoil movies that you guys haven't seen from 1987. No, but I, I was expecting that guy to pop up and, uh, he didn't obviously. Uh, the the design choice of the big bad is whoa. It's it's very eighties, obviously. But man, that that kind of took me out with the film. The special effects at the end too were just bonkers. Not in a good way by any means. Even the effect of them being up on the building, it didn't feel like they were actually up there. No, it's definitely a set. <laughs> yeah, definitely a set there. Um, and then you get the payback, obviously, with crossing the streams. Now that's you know that comes into full impact here when they do it on the big bad. Um. Yeah, you know, for me, this is probably the weakest part of the film, to be honest. It was this, this third act here going on. Except for when we get, um, is it Lewis? Lewis running to the, yeah, we got Lewis running around, gets beaten by the dog, and then he gets possessed, right? Yeah, like he's like pounding on the, the glass. Yeah, yeah, so I thought yeah. that's pretty funny, but I guess we're a little further than that here. So, yeah, I basically start to lose some interest. Um, I was expecting like that Jackie Wilson song to come on, that higher and higher, and again, I'm like, that's part two. Not part one. Uh, so maybe the I just spoilers. Feel, <laughs> song, but maybe I just feel more Dude, strongly. Dude, ladies' film. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Did you know that in the Sixth Sense he was dead the whole time? Oh, Boom! How does that oh, feel? Everyone's seen that. Seen that. <laughs> it's like everybody's seen the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Okay. You know what? In Titanic, Jack dies at the end. Boom! Spoiled it for you. Good. Dude, that was the biggest film up until about three months ago or six months ago. <laughs> Full time. Everyone's hey, seen it. Guess, guess what? In Infinity War, Thanos wins at the end. Again, oh, everyone's seen oh, yeah, that's, that's, it. That's, that's a big one, man. That's territory right there. Oof, man, you're <laughs> infringing in, uh, on our brand now. <laughs> they pay the checks around here, man. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm Russo's. 
they're coming on next week, right? Yeah, the Russo brothers. Yeah, not anymore because he spoiled their film. Well, a <laughs> Russo brother. We're gonna find not Joe and Anthony, but we're gonna find two other Russos to come on. Yeah, they're talking here. about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> A Russo brothers, not the Russo brothers. Yeah. Mario so, Russo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Carlos, <laughs> this is kind of final battle before we get to the kind of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man here. How do you feel about the the set design, the way it's executed? Like for me, I agree with you, Troy. That it to me, this feels like a different movie from what they framed up in the first two thirds of it. And I agree, we got to get some escalation here. We're going for the big grand finale. Does this work for you, man? Uh, no. And you know what? The the scene, like, I love the buildup to it. Like I said before, like, when the when that quasi theme song is kicking in and they suit up and they have the uh, the police escort to the front yeah. of the apartment building and, and whatnot, that was cool. That siren. Wow, wow. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and the crowd going nuts. And I love, like, all the religious leaders interlaced. <laughs> They're doing their thing. That was a nice touch. And But then, like, as soon as they start walking up the stairs, the movie becomes so small. And it seemed really rushed. Like, to not, not to jump to the end and pass Stay Puft and whatnot, but it seemed like they got up there. You had a big bad that could erase them with a thought, but for whatever reason doesn't gives them all the time in the world to like strategize and talk back and forth and like you're at the climax of the film and honestly they just stand there yeah. in a line for the entire climax of the movie <laughs> and they're like oh yeah let's cross the streams they cross the streams and it's like it's game over and i like that's the thing that i hate in like movies or comics or like anytime you have a threat that could eviscerate you with a thought but just doesn't and allows you to overcome them like and there was no cat and mouse game with them like kind of Thanos at the end of infinity war where it's like i could take care of this at any moment i'm just kind of savoring my victory here with this it was just just weird like i I don't know and i think it goes back to a comment that troy made earlier on in the in the podcast here was it it all of a sudden we went to like this this humongous big bad and it was like, like these guys maybe could have built up to that, right? Like, and I guess to your point, Troy, that you don't know you're gonna throw everything because you don't know if you're gonna get a sequel. And this wasn't like really sequel territory anymore at this point in time. And but I just felt like we dealt with small paranormal, like they're chasing around three of them chasing around Slimer, and then it's like boom, you know, like yeah. we could have they could I I think it's scaling it back and and leveraging the work that they did earlier on in the film. And this is, again, comes back to this, this whole Gozer thing that I'd like on a rewatch as a reviewer, as someone that's looking at this from a different perspective, this is where the writing isn't as nearly as solid for me or But tight. even like what's, what's the move of the big bad? It was a backflip. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that was the big money move. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. But, and they didn't even leverage the, like the realistically, they didn't leverage any of the technology that they were using. That was really cool at the start. Like this is yep. just a person in a plastic suit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a few dogs, a few animatronic dogs, which were cool at times. Yeah. But it just, like, it was just like, oh, the library scene's great. The chase scenes are great. The Slimer scene is great. This, eh, not like, I think to me, they make it up in a bit on the comedic end with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Um, but this Gozer thing, eh, not for me. Sunny Man. Yeah, man. Does it work for you? 
Uh, you know, coming in as a first-time viewer, I was kind of lost. You know, I'm I'm with you guys. Like, who's Gozer? Who's Gozer? Who's Zool? Who's these dogs? Like, what do they have to do? So, you know, maybe I need, like, a second or third watch. But definitely, the plot gets a little muddled here. Um, but I, I was a fan of, like, the set. You know, like, as I said, like, them on top. I realized they were on, like, a soundstage. But to me, it just looked cool. Um, it had that, like, 80s vibe to it. And I will say... Um, the girl that's like the bad girl that's supposed to be, I think is, is Gozer at the time. I don't, I don't even know. She looks like she came straight off the set of Superman three, you know, like the, the computer that turned the girl into a robot, <laughs> Superman three. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think they just like, she just like, okay, well, Warner brothers, can we borrow this and we'll make it up to you later. She just like came in, did a scene and then came back to filming Superman three. <laughs> Man, the set was exactly what my mom filmed for me when I was a kid. Like that that same set they plunked out and put it into Universal, and that's what they did. Like, <laughs> did it have you two could have crossed the street. I, so. I bet you did. I bet you, I I guarantee my mom still has that footage somewhere. You have to post it if you can. Oh, good God, it, you have you to, I'd have to get my mom to find it, and then I'd have to get her to transfer it onto some sort of usable media. <laughs> and then you need the express written permission of universal studios before you can post that yeah i'm sure they wouldn't be too upset about it <laughs> <laughs> okay sonny you you had the state puff marshmallow man figure yeah, growing man. up here man and this is kind of again kind of we get this this here. i thought it was the state like s-t-a-t-e puff marshmallow oh. man for my entire life not the stay puff <laughs> did not know that up until maybe two three years ago and is that a real brand? Like, oh, I don't think that... so. You know, it might be. So? I have no idea. That would have been great marketing. Whoever was like the marshmallow people at the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like the thing, the, yeah, the mission. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it is fake because I think Dan Acker is like, I wanted to be this and this. But the one of the cool things I never realized until this viewing that what's her name? Sigourney Weaver's character, when she's pulling out her groceries, she pulls out a bag of Stay yeah, Puff marshmallows. <laughs> There's also like an advertisement in the back. That said, like, Stay Puff Marshmallows, like a billboard. Yeah. And, like, for the longest time, I was like, oh, okay, he must be the big bad in the second one. And they're just, like, planting Easter egg scenes to be like, okay, so the second one, he's the big bad. Because, like, psh, he didn't even appear till like, an hour 40 into the movie. Yeah, and they really make quick work of him. But it's an iconic iconic oh, absolutely. villain here. And for the longest time as a kid, I thought, the ghost on the the symbol was the state of Mar- like i thought it was one and the same like they always looked the same to me very similar yeah that it was like no to this guy <laughs> no marshmallows man so but what did, what did you think about you know you're going from what is a more serious more convoluted big bad to now you've got the state puff marshmallow man walking around new york like <laughs> it's i i love this part because i think this is a bit more true to what they're doing before and it has a bit more of a comedic angle to it um i would have almost preferred this as being the big bad <laughs> to be honest with you and remove this whole gozer thing so but like how did how did you feel about it sonny oh man i loved it and like it looked great i know you guys were saying like it doesn't look as crisp you know, at this point, but I thought the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy looked great. Like, it was probably walking around in models or sets, but I thought, like, you know, to me, like, walking around New York, I was like, this looks legit. Like, you, it still holds up today, like, 30 years later. I didn't see anything where I was like, oh, 
you know, this this could come off as a little bit cheesy or a little bit bad. No, nah, man, I thought it was top notch, and he looks hilarious. Like the little sailor boy suit, I thought was <laughs> was hilarious, and just like so unmenacing. But then he's also like so menacing. So I loved it. I thought it was great. It definitely like I can see why he was so popular back in the day and why even his popularity today still holds. So I thought it was great. I, I would like to see more of him, but that could have just been me like building him up, you know, cause he has so much like, he's like so iconic. And then when you finally get around, you're like, okay, he must be like in it for like two hours. And you're like, no, he's in it for like 10 minutes, but yeah, it worked. Even. It worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, did it did work for you, Troy? It kind of, to me, ends the film on a bit more, with a bit more levity. Like it kind of, this is ridiculous, but we're also talking about somewhat ridiculous concepts here. Mm-hmm. Did you like bringing this in as basically the final piece to, to the Ghostbusters? It's definitely a lot better than the uh, the last act or the last yeah. fight scene. So uh, no, it worked for me. Um, I always remembered the Marshmallow Man. I, I think I had the figure and he was just, just a soft good basically. Yeah, he was so good. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty cool to see. Um, it kind of reminded me very like anime heavy, like influence kind of like taking on this big, huge, ginormous thing that's like bad but it's like it looks very cute and like cuddly you, you know? need so, more tentacles if it was anime well there's, there's that route too but I think they're trying to get butts and seats here so they didn't go that route but also it's, it's kind of like a way to, to save on budget too because it feels like you know if you went like the godzilla route or anything else like that'd be pretty expensive but if you just got this thing you could actually pull it off for budget purposes and clearly they're trying to you know make that budget work in this film so uh all together no it's, it's a huge hit too like who ever thought like that marshmallow man would become a standout you know from all the way from that film to like the mid 90s this thing was pretty big i think it's in like the theme song too of the cartoon if i can remember yeah I think so. it might be yeah and it looked, it looked pretty cool I thought so. I thought it's in the opening theme. You know, back in the 90s, all those cartoons where there's Thundercats, Turtles, this, the opening cinematic was always cool. Like, that's a top notch animation, right? And I I feel like an X Men, right? So I feel like the Marshmallow Man was in there, if if I can remember. But, anyways, no, I liked it. This was uh, another another win in the movie for me. Yeah, agreed. Now, of course, you were kind of nodding in agreement when I said, hey, this could probably have been the big bad. (laughs) Were you not in agreement or were you just nodding to. Yeah, no, I, I, I do kind of remember it. It's funny, like my experience was the exact same as yours, where he had been built up and you'd kind of seen him here and there, and you thought that he'd be a major part of the movie, whereas he's just in it really for a couple seconds. Like yeah, they show not him long. walking, and then they dispatch him super quickly. Um, kind of thinking on it backwards, like they should have almost never had Gozer in the movie. No, but the gate is mm. open. And maybe you have a voice saying, like, name your doom, blah, blah, blah. Exactly, yeah. This, uh, it's this, like, kind of unseen threat. And then maybe they go up against Stay Puff for a bit. But, yeah, I, I remember as a kid being super disappointed because it's like, oh, he's finally here. And what are they going to do? And he's going to wreck shop. And it's like, he basically has to just come into range and they put him down. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, and how how it goes, and they end up with all the marshmallows all over them too, yeah. the goop. Oh, except for Bill Murray, because uh, he's too cool to have the marshmallows. Oh, on. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> you know, like one yeah. on his shoulder. Yeah, that's totally what it was. I was like, oh. Well, yeah, Hell Ramis is covered in it, and I'll tell you guys, there's a a set of Funko Pops, which is the four Ghostbusters with the white on them. I look at them every time. I'm like, man, how did that get through? 
<laughs> any sort of of screening man this looks it's like on their faces and stuff it's like dude like come on like this is not appropriate i, I think even hasbro also released another one like a couple years ago when the 2016 film came out because there's another like highly detailed figures and they come yeah. out it's like a four pack and they have the uh, marshmallows splattered all over them Crazy. Man, you guys have dirty minds i'm rubbing off on you guys 100 percent, man but every time i see this funko pops i'm like no way <laughs> There's, there's the one the one thing that comes to mind when you look at that. <laughs> I do think what's that? Marshmallows? What's that? What's that? Marshmallows? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's yeah. all I think about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you, man. Stay Puft Marshmallow from here, for me, and I, I, if I haven't said it once, I've probably said it three times, is I think that this would have been a better way just to have the film. And I, I love this this iconic imagery, this iconic character. And, yeah, it's only in here for a couple seconds, but it does the trick for me, and it, it feels more in line with the tone of the rest of the film. And I like your idea, Carlos, that, yeah, have this Gozer stuff, but never see the this whatever it is, the backflipping plastic suit person, and just have this thing walk out. Yeah, that would have been cool. But nonetheless, it doesn't take away much for – or it doesn't take anything away from the film for me. But overall, guys, let's wrap this thing up, you know. We've been talking for an hour and a half about, about Ghostbusters here. I think it's longer than the film. But to me, this thing, you know, watching it through with the with the, the goggles on, the review goggles on, and also with that nostalgia pinging in the back of my head, not only for this film but for the franchise itself, this holds up for me. I, I really, really enjoy the first two-thirds of the film. And the back half, yeah, it suffers a little bit as we've detailed here. But overall... I, this is still a really great film. It holds up in, in every aspect for me. And it has really got me thinking about how many figures I need to buy now. Um, <laughs> these reviews and these discussions always and spending money. My wife hates it. <laughs> but, it, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching this, and I've had a blast talking about it here. So let's sort around the rest of the horn here. Sonny, man, you're the guy. You're the new yeah. perspective here. How are you feeling about Ghostbusters? Yeah, man, like coming into this um, high bar, um, to me, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend this. Um, I don't know. It just feels like the warm, the movie just feels like just like so effortless and just so like so much fun. Um, kind of feels like nostalgic, even though like I don't remember watching it. I still get nostalgic vibes yeah, just from like being around um, Ghostbusters growing up. And, um, you know, this is a movie that I definitely can't wait to like watch with my with my daughters and um and the 2016 one and then i gotta watch the sequel as well but you know this one really like got me into it i'm like i know when we were doing like our most anticipated i don't even know if like the new ghostbusters made my list or if it was like kind of low but now it's like it's, it's higher because I'm, I'm like okay i like i seen this I, I seen the first one and i now i'm excited to like watch the rest as, as you will so for me this one holds up um Man, if I had to give it a rating out of 10, I would probably give it like a solid 8 out of 10. Nice. Um, just very well done. And uh, I had a lot of fun. And yeah, man, I, I love the 80s. It's just the one thing I will say is like I had a ton of fun um, with it. But it's just like kind of interesting to go back and see how this thing became like such a huge cultural phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like the Stay Puff Marshmallow guy. It's interesting because, like, he was everywhere. You know, we talked about Slimer. He was everywhere. And, and these characters are in it for, like, so brief. It's just interesting to see, like, what at that time, you know, piqued people's interest that, like, they came out in droves to watch this over, like, 
Terminator, over Nightmare on Elm Street, over all these other like it was such a it's such a cool thing to kind of go back and see and be like, yeah, man, like this thing touched a cultural nerve. It's kind of neat to like go back and see it as a first time viewer in 2020, um, <laughs> and just kind of like see like okay like not 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 in like a bad way. I'm not saying like oh how did this movie get no, it? No, I, I was laughing at the fact that you just said you watched Ghostbusters for the first time in 2020. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it took a quarantine and a lockdown <laughs> to do that. Just you know, it is funny. It just happened to just be just sitting on my shelf, so it's just good spacing. So yeah, man, um, big big uh big fan can't wait to watch the sequel now hopefully yeah. it hopefully it holds up i know trying to guys not to get you guys to spoil it for me so i appreciate that yeah well we'll, we'll hotly anticipate your uh your 30 second review of ghostbusters 2 when you have a chance to, to watch it on a future episode here um both, we'll, we'll pencil in for about 2025 yeah we'll get there guys don't worry <laughs> all right i gotta leave the final word for carlos so troy man let's summarize your yeah. thoughts on ghostbusters here yeah, man. No, I dug this film. It's a fun time for sure. Um, I don't think it's necessarily aged the greatest, to be honest. I feel like it's one of those things that's very heavy nostalgic. And the world that they've established is it just kills me. The fact that we haven't revisited this film, this oh, franchise, yeah. this Come world um, much at all. The fact that we only had two films after this and maybe two more cartoon series after this, it blows my mind. I feel like there's so much stuff in there that we should be at like six films at least. Um, watching this film the whole time, I'm just like, it's so ripe for a reboot. Like we need uh, a new age storytelling of this or connect it, whatever you have. But this franchise should be continuing and i guess we are now it's just been delayed but um yeah man no it's it's great just for me i just get caught up on the nostalgia i think the movie's okay i feel like it's strong at the beginning um the chemistry is the highlight for me i'd have to say over the effects over the score over the story it's really the bond between these guys and uh that's that's about it for me man do i recommend it of course absolutely i'm not gonna rank it here i'm just gonna say you know it's on netflix uh thanks to carlos for letting me know about that yeah, it's on netflix right. canada at least so check it out if you haven't seen this movie already what's wrong with you hey hey, <laughs> hey you've seen it i got no. a lot of other movies i was busy watching shazam for the 12th time oh my wow well guys i'm done that's it for me <laughs> we uh, all can't watch spider-man far from home 274 <laughs> times troy <laughs> the watch homecoming even better yeah. <laughs> all right, 279 Carlos. times for homecoming for troy <laughs> wrap us up here brother what do you got to say to, to summarize your thoughts on ghostbusters you know what there's no denying the cultural impact that ghostbusters had it's something that's been in the zeitgeist ever since I was a little kid and has never left. And it's hard for me to reconcile that it came from this movie. Um, the movie is great, especially when you look at it through the lens of when it was made. But it never lived up to what it was in my mind's eye when I finally saw it as a little kid. So I don't know that Ghostbusters is as funny or as um, high adventure as... Um, somebody coming in now would expect a movie with this kind of uh, reputation to be, but it's definitely something that everybody has to see. Yeah. It's, um, it's part of the pop culture lexicon for sure. And my hope for the franchise is that um, we start to look past some of those pitfalls of, you know, you got to have Egon, you got to have Ray, you got to have, Peter, you got to have Winston and just allow the concept of people coming together to fight ghosts in funny and comedic ways 
to thrive because Troy is absolutely right that there's a ton of places that you could take this, be it Scorcher three boot or um, far removed sequels. And the franchise, the concept deserves more than what uh, it's been afforded to date. So I'm here for the next one. I I loved what they did in 2016. And honestly, I feel the only places it fell down was when it tried to channel tick boxes for things that they had done back in 84. So the ladies don't unfortunately get to continue. But uh, yeah, I'm hopeful for what comes next. Yeah, Afterlife, Jason Reitman. I think it's going to be a connected, but it's going to be a, a nod here and there. Hey, you're my uncle or my grandfather. Here's the car type thing, right? Um, yeah. so it's, I think it's, it's good things for the franchise to come. Hopefully a few action figures in our futures here, guys. And, uh, yeah, that wraps it up for our Ghostbusters review. Thank you guys very much for those that went to, to Twitter and supported us and voted for this, supported Sanjay on reviewing Whee! Ghostbusters. This was a, yeah, we should reveal who, what everybody picked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody actually got it. Yeah. So Sonny had, uh, what do you have there? Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. Carlos. I had Star Trek. Troy? Batman. Yeah. Forever. Batman Forever. And I had uh, TMNT number one, one of my favorites we, of all time. We didn't want to put the uh, names beside it because then everyone would just vote for Troy's. Yeah, we were oh, very, that, was an ex, that was a literal discussion we had. Yeah. <laughs> so Troy could have said, like, yeah, whatever movie. And be like, oh, I, th- I think I'll vote for Troy, you know. Yeah. He's, he's a... Six-time winner of the Nerd Room Podcaster of the Year, and we've only been working for five years, so yeah. Yeah. you got two one year. <laughs> gonna yeah. have, he was going to have a time lapse, like in Major League, where it like starts taking off his shirt as his votes start getting tabulated. Yeah. <laughs> so this this is a concept that we're we're probably going to use in the future here, where. Uh, maybe be a bit more prepared for it because we really didn't promote it. And we kind of just said, hey, we're going to do it next week or not. We're like, yeah, let's do a review next week. So Why not? <laughs> but uh, we did have fun with it. And like we said, we're going to continue to do these rotational type of episodes where we do a news-oriented or some sort of anchored episode in Nerd and then a review the following week or week after. We got some other ideas. We got a ton of ideas, actually, on tap for what is next in the Nerd Room. It's just finding the time to record them and finding the space to put them in and on the feed but nonetheless there's going to be a new episode here every single thursday guys make sure you tune back in to the nerd room feed you can always interact with this via email at the nerdrm at gmail.com you can find us on twitter always roaming around there looking for a good conversation sharing nerd you can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net and you can find some of our photos up on the nerd room instagram troy just threw up a beautiful superman up there and so go over there, check out what we're doing on that platform as well. Big shout out to the Star Wars Commonwealth. We got Clone Wars coming to a mm. big end here. We got May the 4th this coming Monday, guys. Big Star mm. Wars Day, big reveals expected. So we would like to be breaking down some of that next week. And who else we got here? Rob Wade, our man. Man, we got to give him a big shout out for endorsing this podcast over at motion14.com. So make sure to go over there and check out everything that he is doing, including the other endorse podcast guys with all that being said it's time for us to go to bed to sign off and to say goodbye to ghostbusters for now we'll likely and we will i'm not gonna say like we will be back reviewing afterlife ghostbusters afterlife sometime in 2021 so look forward to that one guys (laughs) (laughs) with all that being said for the nerd room i'm tim i'm troy i'm batman and i'm sunjay
Yeah, you are. Slammer, over there. All right, guys. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Thank you very Something much. Strange in the podcast the room. room. Who are you going to call? Nerd Room. <laughs> this has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts from Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Road Squadron Podcast, San Diego Saber's Radio Podcast, Retro Inc., and the Sandcrawler Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world. <laughs>